So this is our, our our inaugural, is that the right term? First run of uh, of the podcast. <laughs> what are we calling this? Audio Adventures with Rob and Mike. <laughs> That's not so bad. I don't I don't not hate it. <laughs> we're not calling anything right now until we figure that out. <laughs> okay. We're doing a uh, podcast uh, about riding motorcycles in Germany. So, uh, you know, sometimes you have a beer at lunch. It's well past lunch. So this is our first run of our podcast. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a learning curve, of course. Learning, hopefully, a better, uh, better ways to do things. But right now, we have the infamous Rob Beach on the other line. Hi, Mike. <laughs> and on the other side of the connection here is Mike Knott coming to you direct live from Thunder Bay, Ontario. From Thunder Bay, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to start off talking about today. We thought we'd talk about a bunch of questions I've gotten whenever I've been come back from a tour or vacations and people often ask these things we're going to talk about today. So one of the things I always get asked, and I'm sure you get asked too, Robbie, is Where's the best roads? Where's the curviest roads? Which generally, that's our outlook on life is what's the, where are the curviest roads, I guess. Uh, it's not always down to that, but that's a significant factor. Curviest roads. I would have to say from my experiences in Europe, that the curviest roads are probably in Italy, central Italy, Tuscany, yeah. Calabria. Um, seem, seems to be never-ending corners there. Actually, funny you're saying that because as I was thinking about this uh, today, I was thinking that pass, uh, Paso de San Marco, if I'm saying that right. Mm. That I, I, I've only ridden that one a couple of times. And every time I do, it's, it's, that's a pretty neat little pass. Although I always feel like I'm on way too big a motorcycle to ride it properly. <laughs> yes. Well, often that is the problem when we're riding in Europe is the machine that makes a whole lot of sense in North America doesn't make a lot of sense there. But it is uh, pretty fascinating how relentless the corners can be. Gretchen and I were riding along on a road in Italy, in Tuscany specifically. It wasn't any particular road that was named and wasn't the tail of the dragon. It wasn't the road to the sun. It wasn't, and it was a road. And uh, I asked Gretchen to start counting corners. And she said, well, what do you mean corners? What, what's a corner? And I said, well, for practical purposes right now, just make it when the bike goes over center. So she started counting and I said, okay, stop. When we got to about 11 miles and she came up with 304 corners. Yeah. Not quite as many as there are on the tail of the dragon, but it was just a road. It was not any special road. It wasn't a place where everyone congregates to go ride. And uh, that was pretty typical of what's going on in many places in Tuscany. It's remarkable how twisty the roads are. So corners, they're relentless there. It's such a hard question. And you, you have far more experience than I do, the both of you do. So it's tough, but definitely Italy some of the areas areas we've we stay in and around it's amazing that you, you could spend days there riding pass after pass after pass and 
to some people, uh, a pass isn't the be all end all. And I get that outlook, I'm, but I don't think we're talking about just straight up hairpins up and down. Uh, cause that's, that's not really a whole lot of fun to me. It's more roads are interesting to me more when they surprise you. And I think Rob has said that sometimes if, if a road gets in too much, uh, a, a cadence that you almost know what's coming up next. If, if all you're looking for is outright speed, yeah, it's kind of cool, but it, it's just not the same as when you get into really interesting things, you're not sure what's around the next corner. And certainly Italy has that. It's just some crazy, <laughs> we often laugh at like who designs a road like this, whoever he is. It's crazy, but a good crazy. <laughs> but um, certainly Sardinia. Last time we were in Sardinia, really impressed with the roads there. Now that's still Italy, but maybe not uh, typical what you would think of when you're thinking of Italy. Yeah, Sardinia is pretty fascinating. The roads for motorcyclists are superb there. The pavement is good. The curves are all generally reasonably predictable, but not necessarily with, with great rhythm. But the surprises that are there tend to be more radius surprises than anything else. And the pavement's clean. It's in great shape. There's very little traffic. It's quite a place to ride. Yeah, that's our fun. The one day I was, I was trying to explain to you, I remember a few months ago, the one road we were down and this little road, it was in amongst the fields of cork trees and a neat little road, uh, barely two cars wide and just went on for miles and miles, twisty, turny, great pavement. And, and you're thinking the only purpose for this road seems to be an access road for the farmers for these cork trees, where most other places, certainly in North America, this would be a dirt road. But here, here is this beautifully paved road. Well, I think we saw one other car in an hour. <laughs> so a lightly traveled road and just gorgeous. Like, uh, it's just crazy it's paved and it's that nice. Exactly, exactly. Well, they've been working on the roads there for, oh, I don't know, 2,000, 2,500 years. <laughs> Roughly there. <laughs> the interesting, interesting point, though, from the standpoint of curviness is there is also the factor of views. And Sardinia, Tuscany, rarely are you up above the tree line there. It happens, but it's not the norm in contrast to the Alps, where regularly and routinely you can be riding up above the tree line, which gives you a very different view of the road. We've had some tour members that are very open sky people that didn't particularly like to be riding the twisty road through the woods, and others who, who do quite enjoy it. So it's a very different experience, whether you're up in the mountains with a twisty road and incredible views, but also incredible drop-offs on the edge of the road versus being somewhere where it's working through those cork trees and there's not a whole lot of elevation change. You never also break out to the great big views that you have in the Alps and the high mountains. The interesting thing is that in looking at gradients over the course of a tour, I was under the impression that rides in the Alps would have a much more significant difference in the altitude gained and lost than those that we found in Tuscany and in Sardinia. And much to my surprise, it's not. It's about three and a half percent in both cases. From one end to the other, you're riding a constant three and a half percent grade on average yeah. in the Alps. And it's very close to that in Tuscany and Sardinia too. That's, that's interesting now in this day and age of all the GPS and the data we can extrapolate from, from these things that you can find, you can figure things like that out. But uh, before it was just see the pants and you don't really know. But 
Uh, but to your point, I have a friend uh, who, longtime motorcyclist, and he's watched some of the videos I've posted from uh, tours, and he says, "Oh, I can't." He said, "Just um, whatever it is, in my old age, I can't do those roads that are on the edge of the cliff. I don't know how you do it." So he's getting a bit of uh, of the fear. <laughs> uh, I, don't know, I guess just a height phobia in there, and I've tried to tell him, "But you don't have to. There's often three, four, five, six ways to go. Just that's the ones we pick. You don't do a tour that's." on the edge of the cliffs so the, the the alpine ones tend to be more like that more of the bigger views whereas you get more central italy and everything where the roads are still twisty turny yeah it just you're not on the edge of a cliff all the time exactly <laughs> so, so if you don't like that then yeah you just you don't ride those roads <laughs> another road that came to mind uh, one of my favorites there's a few but of course the timmel's and that made me think uh, when we're talking about great roads and of course views is is the time of year of course so the Timmel's Yacht last few times we were over it was right at the beginning of spring and uh, I was riding in a bit of a snowstorm at one point and but it makes for fantastic really really neat you know you don't get to go over a snow-covered mountain that often the roads were all fine it just there was still I don't know 30 feet of snow at the top of the mountain but so sometimes just weather like that in seasons totally change it doesn't it Oh, absolutely. The views are very different at different times of the year. And uh, uh, if you get into the seasons where you have more changeable weather, where you have more storms coming in and out, you also you have the disadvantage of potentially riding in a thunderstorm for a little while. But once that's over, the air clears and it gives you views, which you simply don't see in the middle of the summertime when you've got a high pressure zone sitting there. The weather's wonderful. It's lovely. It's 75 degrees and it's hazy. <laughs> and when you come down that pass, you really can't see as much. That's one of the things that I find to be a great benefit of changeable weather. Yeah, I've got to ride in in a thunderstorm for half an hour or 45 minutes but once i get up on the other side of the pass it's going to be clear and it will be stunning that's actually a really good way of looking at it for sure like you said that haziness sometimes in that end of july kind of thing that you think man if i was here first thing in the morning it, it would maybe be just that 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 crisp clear blue sky it probably looks gorgeous but i don't feel like getting out of bed that early but <laughs> The, the, the routine views and vistas that are available from the roads in Europe are so fantastic that you can't go wrong no matter when you're there. Uh, it's not like on that hazy day you can't see anything because the mountains are right there. They're right there in front of you. So you just can't see the third range back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, that's, that's one of the things that's really fascinating to a lot of people is just exactly how in your face the mountains are. We had a fellow from Colorado Springs who grew up in Colorado Springs. And at the end of a tour, he said, you know, he said, I, I grew up there in the, in the Rockies. He said, I've ridden dirt bikes in the Rockies my entire life. He said, I'm a camera, a motorcycle rider for a camera bike on the Coors Classic and have done that for the last five or six years, which is a bicycle race there, a big bicycle race. He said, I thought pretty, that I pretty much knew everything there was to know about riding in the mountains. And he said, I came over here and discovered that I don't even know what a mountain looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's the big difference is uh, when you start to think about the sheer number of roads, the big advantage of riding in Europe is exactly what you said, that there is a teeny tiny road somewhere that doesn't seem to serve any serious major commercial purpose. In the States, because of our population and our 
relatively limited history, that road would never have been built. There aren't enough people on one side or the other to spend the money, the public money, to actually put that road in. But in Europe, it's there. The, the sheer number of paved roads in the Alps and throughout Europe is absolutely incredible. If you were to simply close your eyes and put your finger on anywhere on a map in the Rockies and then do the same thing with your finger on a map of the Alps, you're nine times more likely to have a road under your finger when you do that in the Alps than you are in the Rockies, so which gives you, what, 900% more roads to play with. Yeah. <laughs> I so, don't know whether that's good math or not, but we'll, we'll go with it, eh? <laughs> so, and, and since you're, I mean, you've been doing this a long time, you're almost as old as dirt. Uh, what, what's changed in the last 30 years, you think? Like, were the roads, obviously a lot of these roads are not brand new. They've been there a long time, but was it always like this? With, they haven't started repaving the last 20 years, have they? Yes, they, they are. They're repaving it. They're widening the roads. The vehicles are getting bigger. There are more vehicles. When I started going over there, the first time I went and rode a motorcycle in Europe, I was 17 years old. I had an R90S and I was surrounded by Beetles, Volkswagen Beetles, yeah. Fiat 500s, you know, 190 Mercedes diesel, all kinds of little teeny tiny cars. Even if it's a... Say a Honda Civic, you look at a Honda Civic from that era to now, a Honda Civic now is the size of what an Accord would be or whatever back then. Everything's upsized now. Mm -hmm. And ditto with the motorcycles. Mm -hmm. You know, the 1969, you look at an R60 BMW, it's quite a small machine in comparison to even a 750 GS now. Um, so what's, what's changed is that the roads have, have gotten larger, and that's a very relative term. They've gotten larger by... European standards, but they're still tiny by American standards as far as narrowness and tightness. Um, the vehicles on the roads have gotten bigger. It's frustrating a little bit when the traffic is heavier because there are more SUVs and they're tough to see around. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, the drivers there are good and they're not trying to block you and they're not trying to give you a hard time. But it, it has definitely changed. The passes have changed significantly. An awful lot of the Oberalp Pass out of Andermont going to the east used to be one lane. And uh, that's how I remember it. Yeah. Big, big sections of one lane. And there's only one teeny tiny section now that's about 600 feet long that you could even call one lane. Yeah. And it's it, it used to be one of the widest parts in the road. I remember last year we were we were, I, I was driving the van, you were riding, and we went down through the valley. We were from, going from Munich, maybe to the Grossglockner, and mm -hmm. went through the valley. And there was a road you were talking about how they are upscaling that road because it just there's so much traffic goes through there. And so so there are changes. And what what was neat in the old days was the road would run along the face of the mountain and then when it came to a place where there was a significant gorge cut out because of a river flowing down through there the road would follow the landforms very faithfully to go across a bridge near the river and now there's a great big bridge that crosses the gorge much further down and away from where the river is actually cascading down so they may have taken out a half a kilometer or three quarters of a kilometer of road to put in a bridge. Those are the places that I remember from when I was a young boy riding over in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> Ever so long ago. My heavens. <laughs> so does, so. does Eastern Europe, does when you go to uh, Romania around that area there, is that more of the way that 
Europe was, or is it just, is it totally different? Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, culture and everything, of course, but because they don't have, you know, they're just starting to really get developed in some of those areas. Uh, they don't, they didn't have the wealth that, that Germany, Italy, France has, but they're, they're getting better now. So I'm wondering, is that, is that still not a good comparison? No, because they are so far behind. I mean, they're from World War II up until, what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. When, when did the wall come down? That's when things really started to change there. Well, during, um, during Reagan, so wasn't it? So how long ago goes that? Yeah, yeah, 80s. So, so you're talking about uh, 35 or 40 years of fairly major upgrades in Western Europe that hadn't happened in Eastern Europe. Yeah. And it is now because the EU money started to come in once um, Romania became a member of the EU. Then the EU money started to pour in a little bit and they started to, to build a variety of larger roads, which are sorely needed. I mean, it's not uncommon in Romania to be riding along on the only paved road for 30 miles. Yeah. And everything else off of that road is dirt. It is. It is very different. It's. It's very different. And the roads are not in the same condition there that they are in Western Europe because they don't have the traffic. They don't have the needs. There's in some places that we are, ten percent of the traffic is still horse-drawn. Wow. Wow. But uh, twistiest roads, they're everywhere. And one of the things that is really remarkable is that in America, where we use eminent domain to take your property and make that road go straight and wide, they ride around the field. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of turns in places that just would not exist in America. Yeah, well, like uh, you've, you've talked before about the Audubon to the, um, uh, the airport. Uh, it took forever to get that Audubon there because the guy owned, the farmer owned the field, didn't want to sell it. Was that the case? Indeed, the road was complete, tunnels were made. I mean, it was absolutely complete right up to the edge of a farmer's field on both sides. Mm -hmm. And we spent five years driving along with all of the rest of the traffic that had to go around the north side down a two-lane road, bumper to bumper traffic in both directions, crawling along in first gear. The imminent domain laws are so different there that it took quite a while to convince him that he really should sell his property so they could build an autobahn. Complete the autobahn, I guess, not build it, but complete, yeah, complete it. it. Probably at certain times, they, everybody would have pitched in a hundred bucks. Listen, can you just sell us the bloody field? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting. But um, they take great pride in their roads. They take great pride in their driving, and it's a really wonderful and challenging place to ride. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, another when I was thinking about these roads, I was thinking about the the gorges. On, if you're going to go to uh, Col de Bonnet in uh, southern France, I always like going through the gorges. And I think I've been through there about four times. I'm still I still love dry, uh, riding through there, and then go up to the Bonnet and hike up to the top of the pass. Uh, made me think of it too when you're saying about the views of the mountains. So it's at the top of that lookout at the top of Bonnet. Uh, it's 360 degrees of mountains in front of mountains, in front of mountains. It's just, yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it is. Yep. Yep. And that's one of the things that's so fascinating about riding in Europe is that routinely you can get up to places that have views that are stunningly exceptional in the Rockies. It's not that they're not there, mm -hmm. but they're generally not accessible simply because of the roads and the, and the conditions and the circumstances. And, and in the Alps particularly, um, there is not a day that goes by riding in the Alps where you don't have 
50 or 100 stunning, incredible views to, to take in, stop, enjoy. Um, it, it's, it's beyond description, actually. Those that have been there know what I'm talking about. Those that haven't, yeah. you're missing it. So, so those are the, some of the great ones. Of course, there's, a, there's more than we can talk about, but uh, do you, do you, have, you must have some in mind that are kind of overrated. There's ones that people talk about, oh, I really got to go see this or that, or there's some that are like, yeah, it's okay, but it's, of course, the Tale of the Dragon. Yeah, the Tale of the Dragon's okay, but there's a whole bunch of other roads that are just as good, but not so populated. Yes, but for me to talk about roads that are overrated would certainly denigrate the great experiences that those people have had when they conquered the roads that are well known by everybody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we both are thinking of some of the same ones. Because um, sometimes think people think of great roads just because of the views. It's like the road itself was, yeah, it's okay. It's kind of crowded, there's lots of traffic. It's a bit of a pain in the butt. But when you get up to the top of it, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's a great view. Some of the little villages that are at the top of them or the, I don't know if you call them a village, but there'll be this, the stories and everything else that are up there. It's, it's a really, really neat atmosphere. If weather permits, it's pretty cool just hanging out there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, there, there, there are certainly iconic roads and there are roads that are iconic for a variety of reasons. Um, those that are iconic because of mass media, well, at, uh, when Top Gear wanders in and says, hey, this is the best road in the world, and they're looking at it from the perspective of it's closed at the bottom and it's closed at the top, and I've got the entire thing to myself, that's a very, very different set of circumstances than you and I find when we're there on a normal riding day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, that's got a lot to do with it. The traffic uh, has got a lot to do with it. So I, a road like Stelvio is a stunningly impressive road. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely incredible. And to be climbing or descending Stelvio when there's not a lot of traffic on it and, and the day is clear, it's incredible. It's fantastic. To be on that same road when it's busy and uh, it's hot and people are annoyed, well, it's not a great place to be. <laughs> That's got a lot to do with it. And if you happen to say, hey, I want to go to Europe so that I can ride the Stelvio and that's the only thing that you're really looking at, and you get there, and it's rainy and miserable, well, gee whiz. What you just put up there is, this is my huge goal, can be less than less than what you thought it might be. But there are so many, many great roads and so many roads that nobody's ever heard of, or that, that people simply don't take because it's not the easiest way to get from A to B. And that's that's what I like to be searching for and have been pretty successful in discovering are the, the little ones that aren't, aren't the way everybody else goes. And climbing up the uh, Grossglockner, for instance, I've got a little side road or two or three that we take on the way up that are vastly different than the main road. It's a little more difficult. It's a little more challenging without being overwhelmingly challenging. Surface can be rotten because they don't tend those little roads the same way they tend the big major roads. It takes another year or two or three before they come in and repave them. One particular road that comes to mind is pretty bumpy right now, but in another year or two, they will repave it and it'll be fine again. And it's still magic because there's no traffic up there. Well, that's almost when people say, well, what is the best road or what's Kirby's road? Of course, that's totally a personal decision. But I always kind of group them into two different things. It depends. If you want a road that you can just go, you're in the mood to go hit some corners. Let's let's do my best uh, Eddie Lawson impression or whatever. That that can be totally different than some roads. I know you really like 
that are let's it's more of an adventure let's go see where this thing goes you're not and you're not howling down this road at full speed because it's bumpy and it's maybe gravel but you're going to check it out that's the adventure part of it when i'm riding i like a combination of them every so often it's nice scale road and <laughs> you know hit some corners at a reasonable pace but other times yeah i wonder where this goes <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep yep exactly and that's that is the beauty of riding over there is that you've got a nice mix of those but the interesting thing for me is that the, the fact that most of the good roads, which are everywhere, are tight enough that you don't have to ride around at 70 and 80 miles an hour to make it an interesting challenge. You're riding around at 30 or 40 miles an hour, and that's going pretty darn fast on some of those yeah. roads. And 50 or 60 miles an hour is going really fast on some of those roads. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing that I quite like about it is that your your speeds can be quite a bit slower to return the same level of challenge that you've got riding here, where our roads are big and engineered with big wide corners and this, that, and the other thing. And in order to make that a corner that you're leaned over reasonably far and having a, hey, this is exciting sort of feeling, you've got to be going really, really fast in some cases. And, uh, the Alps isn't like that. It's It's much tighter and you get the challenge at a much lower speed. Well, in North America, it's kind of the general rule when you're going into an off-ramp that whatever sp- speed they have posted as a suggestion, you generally double that and you're, you'll probably have some reasonable fun. <laughs> right. In Europe, not so much. I, I know when we've been over there so many times, we'll be going down a road and we're going at a pretty good clip. You know, I, I think we're both, we, we've talked about this before. We don't get past a whole lot, but I do get past, but not a lot. Uh, so we go going at a reasonable speed, and I'll often say to Bonnie, uh, my wife on the back, I'll say, do you know the speed limit on this road is, it's going to be either 80 or 100 kilometers an hour, and it's almost, we almost can't get to the speed limit. There'll be a short straight stretch, where the, whereas if I really wanted to, I can hammer the gas, but we're not doing that. But And she's almost always quite surprised, because like you said, the road is so tight and turning, and like, how is this speed limit this fast? Because they expect you to use the appropriate amount of care and you figure it out you're you're a big boy or a big girl you can decide what's appropriate for you and your vehicle <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly exactly the the, the laws are not built the laws are not intended for the lowest common denominator they're intended for everybody so sometimes when people uh, hear there think that oh well there's these tight little roads you think yeah it's 30 miles an hour but i'm going to be doing 40 and there'll be a police officer around the corner it's like no in North America, the road would be 30 miles an hour, but there, no, it's still 80 kilometers an hour, maybe 100. But you, you know, all you're going to do is 30 or 40 miles an hour. It's, oh man, it's, it's pretty amazing to be able to ride all day, ride hard and quick, be challenged. And you think it's, I'm not going to get a ticket anytime because I'm doing 20 kilometers an hour below the speed limit. How is this mm-hmm. possible? Right, right. The laws in, in most of the Western European countries are really sensible in the sense that they're expecting you to slow down in towns and uh, it opens up a little bit once you get out of town, not to the point of it being ridiculous, but to the point of it being realistic. In town, they're pretty absolute about it. And yes, you can easily get a ticket for going over 50 kilometers an hour. And they're handed out with some frequency, but they don't put speed traps out in in the countryside. Um, Whole different mindset. It's an absolutely different mindset. So what about, so we talked a bit about seasons, I guess. Really, uh, I know like some of the areas, I guess uh, we have a bit of a problem just with traffic now. That's a bit of a pain. So that's something people can consider. I know I have friends who talk about when should they go over and um, it's almost more more weather 
you know, the seasons are changing and getting warmer, it seems, in the summertime now. So I think that's almost more of a factor. It's some, it seems like we've had a few pretty good hot summers in Europe. Yes, yes, and it's getting warmer. But there is a vacation time, and that's a couple of weeks in the middle of August when it can get quite busy. The different countries have different summer vacation schedules. Uh, but the, the beauty of knowing the little roads and, and, and taking the time to travel in such a way that you can use the little roads, the traffic's not there on the, on the little roads. You can be riding along on a tiny road on the edge of the Autobahn, and the Autobahn is a dead stop next to you, four lanes wide, but you're still riding on a road that's got no traffic on it at all. It is slower and busier in the middle of August, but with some good planning and knowing where to go at that time, you can avoid some of it, or a lot of it, actually. Yeah, if you want to go to the top of Stilvio to get that picture, expect some traffic, but... Uh, Mike, that might be the understatement in August. <laughs> yeah, expect all the traffic. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Like the time that Gretchen and I only got a third of the way up and overheated the motorcycle so badly that we had to stop and... Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, and decided that we didn't really want to do that, so we turned around and went back down the Stelvio and said ciao. But at the right time of the year and the right places, uh, it's not bad. And maybe a bit of timing too. If that's the one you want to do, well, then depending on where you are and stuff, okay, maybe you get up the hour and a half early. Let's go hit that thing now before everybody else is up, and it won't be so bad. <laughs> but yeah. if it's the end of the day or it's four o'clock, maybe maybe you want to pass until tomorrow morning. <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. Yep, or you can come in from the not terribly busy side and go down the not terribly busy side and just look at the really snotty and miserably crowded side. <laughs> <laughs> and so what are your feelings about uh, Bosnia, Croatia these days? Is everything going to be cool for the next little bit? Or? <laughs> yeah, for the next little bit, it's cool. I think that things are getting tenser there. Um, it's a place I'm very much looking forward to getting back to. I quite like it. Um, I like the, the vast differences in culture that are, that are side by side there, but it's a, it's a potential hotspot. I'm not sure that we've seen the end of the conflicts in, in the Balkans. Now, when we say hot, when you say hotspot or we say hotspot too, it's really, you're talking about between each other, like your safety there is fine. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, really, you know, it's just it's uh, you know, humankind. Ha we're really good at drawing lines between each other, <laughs> and and right now there's some tension, but uh, cer certainly Sarajevo is a really cool little country, isn't it? Or a city? Sorry. Um, I rather enjoy going there. Yes, and 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 most are, and every place in between is as well. It's it's very different. It is pretty dynamic. Um, the people at this point are, what now, 20, 20 some years into post-war revival. Yeah. And there's a lot of very positive stuff going on right now, which is all really good. There's still political tension there, but it tends to be far more local political tension than international political tension at this point. So that's why we're looking forward to getting back there as often as we can in the event that if things start to spiral, uh, we can say we had our experiences there and, and uh, got to know the place as best we could. Yeah, come back when we can again. And uh, so that certainly makes me think, of course, what's going on right now with this COVID-19 area, you know, for 
uh, kind of putting things off. Oh, we'll do it next year. We'll do it next year. We'll do it next year. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes things, there isn't a next year for various reasons. You just can't get there. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, right now, um, that's what everybody is discovering as well. <laughs> things can change really quickly. Remarkably quickly in, in ways that we have never ever considered and uh, I don't know what the fallout from all of this is going to be at all at this point But I hope that one of the main things for most people is that they understand that time is pretty limited and there is a whole lot more chance to life than most people will actually allow as being reality. I didn't get it. I'm healthy. I got through it and I'm lucky <laughs> and I better and I better enjoy life right now because in five years maybe I would be on the wrong side of that particular virus and I would get it and have problems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah live life while you can. Well, that's the thing. It's not that it has to be terminal. Not to get too dark here, and all of a sudden you're no longer here. But all it takes is something to to you, you screw up your knee and uh, bad enough for you in this kind of situation. If it's we're talking the flu, maybe it screws up your lungs enough that you just you can't breathe well enough to feel comfortable traveling, or your insurance <laughs> won't allow you, or whatever. Who knows? All right, Mike. That all would have made sense a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> We're in COVID-19 territory right now, and it's a whole different ballgame than it was a month ago. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, the world's shut down. So uh, one thing we had uh, asked you or we talked about before is about we you tend to stick to just to southern Germany. Why don't you go to the nor more northern parts or western parts? Population primarily. Yeah. There, are, there are more people up there. Well, some in some places, a lot more people. A lot more people. <laughs> there, all of um, Germany that I have visited is really lovely, but there are places that are really, really, really busy. You know, the population center is in the middle of the country, and you start to get up into that area, and you're dealing with a whole lot more traffic regularly and routinely. And more traffic means bigger roads, straighter roads, and more boring roads. <laughs> Which isn't to say that every place is. There, again, there, there are lovely, lovely places to travel there. There are only nine cities in the entire Alpine chain that have a population of over 100,000 people. You're, you're talking about a, a vast difference in population density. So, yeah. so the main reason that we're not going further north is not because it's not interesting. Quite the contrary. There's a lot that's very interesting there. But it's just not quite the same when it comes to pace and, and possibilities and traffic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, Bonnie and I were in Portugal the one year and everybody talks about Lisbon and I'm, Lisbon, I'm sure it's quite a nice city, but not one you want to drive in, I tell you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get out of here. <laughs> right. Right. And the best way to see places like that, I think, is to take a train into town and get off right in the center of it, off the train and enjoy, enjoy the uh, history and the beauty and the culture on foot rather than by motorcycle. Yeah, a lot of those, because uh, a lot of times European cities have really good public transport, but yeah, you just don't want to ride a <laughs> motorcycle in there. You barely exactly. don't want to drive a car either. But So did you, did you see um, they had the first MotoGP e-race today? I missed that. <laughs> I missed that. I, I watched uh, maybe half of it. It was okay. I mean, it's, it's an e-race, but it's, it's all we have right now. So this seems to be the thing to do. It's what we have. If you want any kind of racing entertainment, that's what you got. Take it or leave it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, when we get together, Mike, how about we invite Ken Condon of Riding in the Zone to join us and uh, 
talk about writing skills and what he knows about writing in Europe from that perspective. Yeah, that sounds, that could be super interesting, actually. Uh, uh, if we get him on the case, he can maybe even help you. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a slacker, you know that? <laughs>